0: Maybe my favorite trip of that first season was a rough trip through the Himalaya to the border of Tibet and Nepal with China in a jeep for three days, going up these crazy dirt roads, going through riverbeds. And I'm, I can't actually press the buttons on my laptop. We're like bouncing around and I'm trying to animate the maps for the Arctic episode. Like while we're filming this, it was a mad rush of adrenaline. 2017 was like the
1: craziest year of my life this is finding founders i'm samuel donner and today we're exploring the story of johnny harris the pioneer of vox's hit docuseries borders johnny is a relentless storyteller paving the way for a new form of cultural exploration From a small Oregon town to a narrow strip of ocean between India and Sri Lanka, Johnny's story fuses curiosity with creativity across continents. Now, through his company Bright Trip, Johnny captures cultures on film in an effort to eliminate the borders between them. But before you reach around for your passport, we're going to head somewhere a little closer to home, to Johnny's quiet, tucked away hometown of Ashland, Oregon. Southern
0: Oregon is this haven. It is this place that is between the weather and temperament of California and the sort of rainy woods of Oregon. Because of that, there was always a certain sense of like disconnectedness. Like it just felt like a place in and of its own. And it has this interesting kind of hippie culture that I grew up around, but it's surrounded by very conservative farming towns. It was this weird, all these cross currents of different ideology. It's strange because we were sort of straddled between the two. On one hand, both my parents are very progressive thinkers. They moved to Ashland for a reason. But we were a devout Mormon family. And we went to church every Sunday with... Mormons who belonged to that other group of like highly conservative, almost, you know, apocalyptic in some ways. That tension didn't really become apparent to me, but I sensed it pretty early on going to school. I do remember in second grade, I was lumped into that Mormon community. My second grade teacher, she said, like, Oh, in your church, you believe that the earth will be burned and that everyone will go to heaven if they were righteous in sort of an undermining way, I felt that a little bit. And I felt like, wait, I don't know if I believe that.
1: The dual ideologies of Johnny's Ashland community shaped a unique backdrop for his childhood. Few cities, especially in the U.S., are completely homogenous in their values. But Ashland presented an especially stark divide. This divide is going to come up again in our story soon. But for now, let's try to understand Johnny's relationship with school.
0: From the earliest days of schooling of any kind, like even back to kindergarten, I remember feeling like I was behind the pack. I remember in first grade, all of the kids were uh, repeating after the teacher when they were going over the calendar. They were like, today is September 21st. And then they all like sort of repeated 21st. And then the teacher said, which is... And I say, football game. And everyone says, Friday. And I was like, oh. And it was like this awkward moment of like, oh, I was clearly on a different wavelength. That was a theme every day of my life in school. The teacher actually always wanted something that I could never deliver. And I just took that as like, and I'm not smart. And like, this is just an omen for my future. Luckily, my environment where I grew up, on 10 acres, my parents had built this big blue house in the countryside, two miles outside of Ashland, and that house was the place where I garnered my confidence and my passion for everything. And then, you know, very importantly, there was a video camera, always. There was always a video camera, like an old family video camera, that was just up for grabs, and I would just play with that all the time, and... Like we would make these mafia like dramas where like my little brother dressed up in a suit, like his church suit and tie with a toy gun and would like go around to like a hotel. And my other little brother was like the receptionist of the hotel who like wouldn't hand over the books so that the mafia guy could search where his like victim is in the hotel. And there was like an altercation and like I would be filming and directing all of this. It was like the Wild West. I could do whatever and I was having success in my own little way and set up a model of success for me. That proved to be a model that like serves me for the rest of my life much more than like any sort of
1: traditional schooling. Unlike the constrained environment Johnny found at home, traditional schooling created limitations and enforced conformity. He experienced things on a different wavelength, so he felt confined and maladjusted. But filming was freedom. And it allowed Johnny to document his perspective, to immortalize the product of his mind. It was the creative outlet that felt inaccessible between school walls. But it was, for the most part, limitless. His family's farm, the pigs, the mafia dramas, this was Johnny's education. But he couldn't circumvent the system. And school wasn't getting any easier.
0: I continued to struggle with school and started to get to the point where it was a problem. To where like I would get very terrible grades and my mom actually like intervened and we started going every week to some like this tutor. He was almost like a psychologist. He would give me these exercises to like train my brain, which I now realized was basically like anti-dyslexia training, like to help my brain process and decode words on the page and to process it in a more sort of linear way. It didn't feel like there was any options. It became a series of looking for coping mechanisms that required a little more effort or required some extra thinking but like allowed me to fit into the system somehow you go to school you graduate school you go to college and you get a job like that was the pipeline there was literally no alternative to that in my mind I don't remember thinking it was a choice it just felt like a survival thing
1: and so at the same time that you're going through this like survival thing what's happening with this uh these mafia videotapes
0: I continued to play around and mess around with film. Now it wasn't just mafia movies. I started to make abstract short films that were artsy and weird and visual and experimenting with visuals and actually editing on a computer. And I was always doing that and finding that same buzz of success that I was totally lacking in the school environment. I felt freedom and, like, there were no rules. Like, there was no bounds on the type of stuff I could make because there was no grades.
1: Johnny never questioned the traditional path. But why would he? From kindergarten, we're conditioned to move through the motions without asking why something is relevant. Though, luckily for Johnny, he had one perspective that looked outside the classroom. The lens of his camera. That lens broke down boundaries. But film was only a part of the puzzle. Johnny would soon find another passion, something that would guide the rest of his life. I know you, d- you did um, travel for, for your mission. Um, Do you have experience traveling before that? My senior year
0: of high school, mm. our high school had a an exchange program with a town in Mexico called Guanajuato. And I somehow, I was like in the picking for this. And... And then I got chosen. I do remember feeling an impulse of like, man, it would be so cool to like travel, to like go outside the country. And I think that really started to mature my senior year of high school. But after five weeks, I somehow rationalized to myself that like, this wasn't a good fit and I'm coming home now. But really the reality was, as I was, culture shocked homesick and i missed my girlfriend and i came home and it was like the real world is cool in theory but like this sort of shocked me into it like you know cultural immersion language immersion i didn't speak spanish very well and so i had like a little dip my toe into what international travel was and it was a little messier than i had sort of idealized but there were parts of it i loved there were parts of it that i was obsessed with like The exploration of it was amazing. I just didn't have the stomach for all of the culture shock and all of the newness. Mm. But what I realized is that was one step in the direction of what would become, you know,
1: a much more mature version of that obsession with travel. The culture shock that Johnny felt in Guanajuato isn't all that surprising. The stunning brightly colored buildings of that Mexican city would have felt a universe away from the orange and red maples scattered throughout Ashland's evergreens. But five weeks had expanded his world. And by wading into this vibrant culture, Johnny had stoked the embers of what would become something much bigger. For now, however, home was calling and life back in the States would resume, but not quite in the way he expected
0: At the end of high school, my mind is effectively totally focused on filmmaking. So I decided to sign up for the Intro to Media Arts, the film program at at BYU. So I get to BYU and quickly learn that like film school or media arts is not get behind a camera every day and like make amazing, beautiful stuff. It was like sit in a classroom. And look at old films and critique them and talk about theory and history. And then you look at the curriculum and the roadmap and it's like, okay, in the fourth year, you can take a special class that's like, make a film. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, we're going to, we're not going to touch a camera for like three years. Like, we're going to look at PowerPoints. (laughs) Like, is this film school? And again, it was all in the vernacular and the trappings of formal schooling, like the same hoops that I have been struggling to jump through, and now they're taking film, the thing I love, and like putting it in that same framework that I hate. I'm just like, no, thank you. Like, I do not want these two worlds to come together. Get me out of here. And I, I was sort of in a crisis because I was like, if this isn't it, what is it?
1: Film school wasn't working. The theory, the history, the critique stunted Johnny's ability to create. He learned how to make visuals look beautiful, but it wasn't from a book. It was because he picked up a camera and hit record. He realized that experience is his education, not books. He needed an opportunity to learn through experience. And luckily, travel was built into his religion.
0: So at Brigham Young University, freshman year, in the boys' dorms, it's effectively everyone is preparing to go on a mission. If you're not preparing to go on a mission, that's weird. So there wasn't a lot of intentional evaluation. There was sort of a, this is what you do when you're 19 as a male in the Mormon church. I think I felt excited for an adventure. Like there was this budding adventure person in me that wanted another shot at like going abroad. And like when I got the letter that told me where I was going to go and it said Tijuana, Mexico, I like didn't know where that was. (laughs) I'd never heard of Tijuana and it had a little map in there. I remember on the on the mission call, it had a map and I like looked at it and I saw, oh, this is on the southern border of the United States. Like, whoa. Why whoa? Why why that reaction? Just because it was it felt so random. Like my friends were being called to Brazil, you know, Sao Paulo, and I sort of knew about Sao Paulo or Seoul, South Korea. And I thought if I went to Mexico, I'd go to like Mexico City. It's like where all my friends went to. And so seeing this, like, obscure, what I felt was, like, this obscure, random border town, it just, I didn't know geography. Like, I I sort of knew where Europe was. Like, I couldn't name any country in Europe my freshman year of college. And so it was almost like the fog of this part of the world, like, was sort of lifted. And I was like, oh, that's a place. Right before my mission, though, I had a girlfriend who was like my neighbor, who wasn't Mormon. And this is like my parents' worst nightmare because they're like, he's supposed to go on a mission and he has this girlfriend neighbor that like could derail all of this. My dad comes in one day and he was like, you know, there's this amazing village in Wales that is on the cover of National Geographic this month. And he was like, you know, you could go there on a trip before your mission. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, you could use your savings and like go on a trip. And I realized now that they were doing that to sort of get me away from this girl. But I was thinking like, this is sweet. I ended up going on this trip to Wales To London and then to Paris. I was by myself. I was on trains. I ended up like sleeping in uh, like a park in Paris, like for four nights. I was having the adventure of a lifetime and I could stomach it. Like I had this little digital camera. And that I, I feel like that moment actually, more than Mexico, more than any other moment in my life, my identity as like someone who wants to explore, like woke up. I remember feeling on that trip, like, how do I do this more? Like, how do I do this all the time?
1: Images of rolling green hills, beaten dirt paths, ruins, small towns, trains, parks, and people. This is the pathway to the heart of a country. Adventure can start here, but you can also look to those who walk before you. European history was the foundation of every building, every street, and every person Johnny saw. Exploring Europe became a sacred memory, one that he'd reflect on and keep safe as he approached a Mormon rite of passage.
0: I got back and quickly went on my mission, like two weeks after I got back, and spent two years in Mexico thinking about that Wales and Paris trip. Like that became a, a sort of an inflection point for me for how difficult my mission was, it was also very impactful and it forged a lot of who I am. Going back to like the my my tension with schooling and my inability to perform in that environment, I came away from that with a belief that like I was always going to struggle in the real world. From a work standpoint and from like a career standpoint, I would never have the success that my peers were going to have. On my mission, I had the first challenge of that, where I was now in an environment where I had a mission, a goal, which was to like baptize people into the Mormon church. And yet there wasn't the same hoops to jump through. Like there was in school. There was no, like, you have to do this and this and this and take this multiple choice test. It was like, do whatever you need to do, but like work hard and baptize people, which is like, I have issues with that as an outcome and as a mission and whatever. But that aside, I was able to create my own way of doing that. And it relied on my resourcefulness it relied on interpersonal connection for the first time i was in an environment with, uh, surrounded by peers and i was thriving and i was able to now have like a group of like 20 missionaries that i was sort of leading and, and learning that i'm actually a good communicator like if i have to share a message i can do it and suddenly i'm feeling this buzz of like whoa 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 i'm surrounded by my peers who are all way better than me at multiple choice tests but like, I'm better than them at this. And it was a huge confidence builder in a part of my confidence that was very almost debased by years of, of failing. So I walked away from that, not only with fluent Spanish and a new perspective on the world, but also with like a sense of confidence that like I can actually perform among my peers and I can forge my own way. It's going to be a little unorthodox and weird, but like
1: it can work. So like learning this about yourself and maybe having a little bit more confidence, how was returning to the States after leaving and finishing up your mission?
0: About a year and a half into my mission, maybe a little bit more, we were on a bus traveling at one, one point and we all had a, a catalog of the majors that you can study at BYU. And like at this point, we had all gone through this metamorphosis of like everything was reset. like we're different people at this point and so you know film and all of that like i had seen that as like oh I did that when I was a kid but like I need to grow up now and like but like I needed to find a big boy job and like a big boy thing so I was thumbing through that catalog and I saw international relations and it just sounded so sexy it sounded so cool I had just spent two years living next to one of the most visually striking border regions in the world. The border wall, Tijuana, is so militant and, and violent looking. It is 20 feet tall with this robust metal. And there are border patrol trucks driving back and forth. There's like barbed wire everywhere. It looks like a prison. It looks like the walls of a prison. I looked at that so, for so many hours for for two years and just wondered, like, what is the deal? Like, there is no difference between this soil and that soil. And so I decided to study international relations. And that was largely because of that, that mission experience and the exposure to that border.
1: This trip was transformative. Up to this point, Johnny's interest in film was more or less superficial. He wanted to make things beautiful, but crossing the border from California into Mexico, Johnny discovered this intricate, complex web of cultural and emotional ties between people. International relations seemed to encompass the parts of the trip he loved, so maybe with a slightly flawed view of this career path, Johnny came back to school focused.
0: So I came back August of 2009 for my mission. I'm 21 years old. I'm now a sophomore. And two weeks into that semester, living at this place with a bunch of mutual friends, one of my friends of friends is this girl named Izzy. She's living in the same sort of apartment complex. And uh, we end up going on like a little date. I got to know this girl and sort of quickly realized that she was like interested in getting more serious and I and I wasn't and I said listen Izzy I think you're attractive but I'm not attracted to you so she just totally ostracized me I got back to school and took the intro to international relations course I immediately go into the international relations program and ask them like what are the opportunities to travel like in this? You know, I'm just like, get me back on the road. Like, I'm so ready to do what I did in Wales. Like, and they were like, well, we have all these programs, blah, blah, blah. We have this one guy who's a BYU alum who's at NATO in in Brussels. And he's a, he's at the U.S. mission to NATO in Brussels. Maybe I can connect you with him. So I connect with this guy. He's like, yeah, I need an intern. Are you interested to come to Brussels for three months and like work at NATO? And I was like, what's NATO? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I was like, what's NATO? So like, I I look up NATO and I'm like, whoa, NATO. And uh, I'm like, yes, sign me up. In terms of the actual international relations work, I was quickly starting to realize like U.S. government, international relations is not as sexy as I thought it was. There's just a lot of paper and bureaucracy oh, there are hoops to jump through and uh, oh, there's authorities to account to that have arbitrary expectations and like alarm bells are going off. And I'm like, but there's got to be space for me in this. While I'm in Belgium, I actually find a girlfriend who lives in Italy who I met through some Mormon connection in Mexico and she's living in Italy. Anyway, we start dating and I'm thinking like, on paper, this should be this should work out. This should be, like, the best thing of my life. This girl speaks, like, four languages. She's, like, studying fashion in Florence. Like, everything should work out, but it just wasn't. Like, the chemistry wasn't there. And I found myself, like, chatting with Iz. And being more interested in chatting with Iz, who's, like, my friend at this point, who's sort of, like, over me because I had rejected her. I eventually break it off with this girl. And... The day I do that, I like think to text is and see what she's up to. And so I Skype her and we start chatting a little bit. And she's sort of like totally just like, dude, like you rejected me, like leave me alone. You know, I come back from this experience with this like renewed interest in is, but also this like new version of what I think my international relations career is going to be, which is there's this track in. In the Foreign Service called Public Diplomacy, which is like more media facing diplomacy. And I sort of create this facade or this like fake dream of like going into the Foreign Service and like making videos. Because at this time, like my video itch has started to come back too. And I'm starting to be like, oh, I, I kind of do want to make videos. And I'm looking at cameras more. And then suddenly I just bought a camera. And like, and so all of these threads are sort of happening at the same time. I, quickly, more than anything, the Izzy. Thing takes over everything. Like all career, school, everything just goes out the window because Izzy comes down to visit me. Finally, she like warms up to the idea and we just fall madly in love. From there, it is just a roller coaster of just sprinting like past all of the normal steps in a relationship and before you know it like it's been a month and we're like so should we just get married and we get engaged and i'm like just don't care about school i don't care about foreign service i don't care about film i care about izzy i'm you know 22 at this point she's 20 and we at the end of that semester get married It's all a blur. Like, there's no details there because I don't remember any of it. It's just like, and now I'm married.
1: The Mormon upbringing definitely sped up the marriage process. But I think this speed is more a product of Johnny just all around re-examining himself. Working at NATO, dating this girl from another country, that experience was what he wanted. Or at least the idealized version of what he wanted. But in having that, In having what he wanted, he realized what was missing. He realized two things. I really want to keep making videos. And I think this girl, that girl that I initially blew off, I think she may be the love of my life. This all makes me think that if Johnny never got what he thought he wanted, he never would have realized what he actually wanted. This leads us up to Iz and Johnny's graduation.
0: Is and I, one of the things that really worked with us is we were sort of like collaborators. And the first thing we did was like we started a blog. That got me really back into visuals. So Iz and I are like, man, how cool would it be if we bought like a professional camera and we started like posting professional photos on our blog. We didn't have any money. So in Provo, Utah, where our school was, there was this facility where you could go sell your blood. You could sell your plasma. And you would get $55 each. Is and I started doing this weekly. We took a credit card and we bought a Canon 7D, $1,400. And we're like, we'll pay it off with the blood money. But we had this camera. I started just devouring tutorials about DSLRs, about the new way of filmmaking that I'd totally been out of touch with because I was in Mexico. Like my, my mind was blown. We start shooting weddings and we create this wedding photography business called Simple Flare Photography. And we actually started to like become good at this. And so I'm still doing my international relations thing And I'm just devouring that and I'm like back to the dual path of school life, which is actually becoming a little more doable and video life, which I sort of see as separate things, but start to envision a a world where like these two paths merge and there's no tension. There's like harmony in them they start to make videos for my econ class and like motion graphics that demonstrate a concept as opposed to like you know writing it which would have been so much easier and they start to slowly come together in this way that like was so exciting and I still didn't know what that meant for like a career but I was like there's no way I can actually get rid of the video stuff I have to keep it in School is starting to wind down. Izzy's studying human development and special education. I'm studying international relations. It's 2013 and Isabella's pregnant. Izzy's pregnant. She's going to class with a big belly. And Henry's due date is like April 3rd, I think was the due date or something. And graduation was like a week later. So Izzy's like literally like going to do her finals like the day or two after she like gives birth to this child. At BYU, that sort of feels normal. We graduate with our baby in our hands and is beautiful and it felt great and normal. And then we decide to move to Washington, D.C. Because Izzy's parents lived there at the time. Her dad's in the Navy and was stationed there for two years so we could live with them. I didn't have a job lined up, but I just figured I studied international relations, DC's the place to go. And we get to Washington, DC, and I have literally no idea what I'm doing. I had success within this mission experience. I sort of started to have success in school, but like now I'm in the big leagues and I have no idea how these skills line up. Poor Izzy's parents were living in their basement at this point, and I'm working in a restaurant and they're like, so what are you guys going to do? Like, what's what's the plan? At this point, I'm struggling with this idea of like, I'm, I'm trying for, out for the Foreign Service, but I'm sort of like, I need to find a job, like a real job. And I find a job at a, an architecture regulation institution. It was like not the dream job, but it, it at least got me making motion graphics every day. Four months into that, I find out that there's a think tank in town called the Center for Strategic International Studies is hiring for a video position. I apply, I get the job. Because at that point I had been doing a lot of animation with maps and like playing around with this on my own. And they saw that and they're like, this is sweet. At this point, I had always suspected that I had some issue with reading. And for years it was like, I'm just bad at reading. But then I was like, wait a minute, that's not a good explanation. So I actually went to a neurologist and they ran like a three hours worth of tests on me one day. And they're like, yeah, you have severe attention deficit and you're dyslexic. <laughs> and, and my and the neurologist at George Washington University was literally like, how did you make it through school? How did you do this without any like help or like medication or therapy or anything? And I was just like, oh, I've been wondering that myself. <laughs> That was a huge just validation for me. And I was able to like, learn what options were out there for medication and for just like giving myself a break. That was the biggest thing.
1: It seems like this diagnosis was freedom for Johnny. For years, he was subjected to a system that said, you can only learn from reading and writing. And somehow, even though that didn't come naturally to Johnny, he could still view intellectual pursuits with passion and that passion Carried him to DC, where he would get a job in motion graphics. It wasn't exactly what he wanted to do, but he knew it was a step towards the perfect union of international curiosity and in filmmaking.
0: So, CSIS is the place where I really start to establish my identity as someone who makes maps and animates complex stories. And that's where the academic curiosity starts to fuse with evocative production visuals. They really started to come together and I really started to see success and validation and like a market for this. I was like, oh, this is having success. People love this in like a top think tank in the world. And that was a really exciting reality for me. And all my dreams of like foreign service sort of went out the window everything started to just revolve around how can I make videos about international topics and learn about new things and make videos about them. My wanderlust at this point was becoming a major thing. The problem was we weren't, we didn't have money. Like uh, I, I couldn't travel and we were sort of making some trips happen somehow every year, like one trip a year. But then 2014 came around and that was the first year that i didn't travel at all the entire year i just we, we couldn't afford it we had like a new kid like that was a the a missing part of my life i felt like there was one day at csis that i was frustrated at something they like they would have me do these live things uh, like i would have to go down and like sit and run a camera and i was always so frustrated that i'm like oh, i want to animate but i was like frustrated so i pulled out my phone and i looked up jobs in video it said, like Vox, Vox is hiring multimedia producer. And I was like, What's Vox? And I and I looked at their website, and the first video I ever saw from Vox was this two-minute explainer on like single payer healthcare. And I watched it and I just my jaw just dropped. I was just like, This is smart. It is beautiful. It's quirky. It is musical. It is explanatory and well communicated. I was like, who are these people and how do I get in the door? And then I like quickly start searching and I realize they are literally a block away from me. I can't, like I have to get in the door. Like I have to figure out a way to talk to these people. And my mind started just spinning. So I do this very sort of (laughs) questionable thing where I put together this portfolio of all my work. I send in an application, but intentionally on the application... I put in a broken link that's like my portfolio with like one wrong character and I send it in to to Vox and then I literally walk down the street and try to get up to the 11th floor where the Vox offices were and the guard at the front's like no you can't go up there and I was like can you call down a receptionist She comes down and I say, hey, (laughs) I just sent in an application, but the link is wrong. I I found out the link is wrong. I need to send the new link to whoever the hiring person is. Is there any way I can give you my email and you can connect me to that person so I can send them the right link? Because if they don't see my work, like, you know, like the whole application is ruined. And she was like, yeah, totally. And so later that day, sure enough, she connects me with Joe Posner, who's the head of video at Vox. And now I have Joe's email and I'm like, yes. And so I send him the I send him the, the correct link and I said, try to like send some nice email so that now I'm on his radar. And I never hear back. He like never responds. And I was just like, womp, womp, like my whole scheme didn't work. And then a month and two and three months goes by. And then I reach out to Joe again. I was like, I have to freaking get in the door. So I actually spent all of November of 2014 working on like a pitch video. It was like an explainer of me that was like in the Vox style. And I send that to Joe and I say, hey, Joe, I just worked on my portfolio. Here it is. I'd love to get coffee sometime and ask you about the industry. My name is Johnny Harris. I am a multimedia generalist based in the Washington DC. And he saw that, that explainer video. And like, that was it. Like, that's what he was like, all right, like, come down. My first day at Vox was just like, this is it. I didn't even know this existed. Like, if I had to describe the dream job, I wouldn't even be able to describe this because this is better than anything I knew. These are my people, and especially Joe, who hired me. He had—he was like a documentary guy. He was like an artist and like a, like a musician. And he—he he wanted to make this a weird, different vibe. Like, he wanted to make this feel unique. The problem was, I wasn't a journalist. Like, I could make fancy visuals at that point and I could read academic papers about international relations. But, like, I didn't know fact-checking and, like, I didn't know ethics of journalism. And so the first probably six months of my time at Vox was, like, this is a dream job, but I am so out of my depth here. And, And the other member of the video team at the time, Joss, was, like, the journalism guru. And she... She just didn't hold anything back in, like, telling me when I was wrong. And, like, she just whipped me into shape, effectively. And suddenly, I was understanding what journalism was, and I was understanding how to write in a non-academic way. The real turning point, the real pinch-me moment happened in 2015 when I pitched Joe. Instead of doing these animated explainers from the office why don't we go out into the field and like make documentaries where we like point our camera at things and do the animation and do the sort of explainer thing. Context here is at this point, our me and Iz restart our wedding business and that's taking off and we are getting really good at shooting. And I felt ready to like go out into the field and actually do the Vox thing, but with a camera. And Joe was like, We can't hire a crew, but if you go out and do it for, like, super cheap and do the whole thing yourself and make it good, then, like, we'll do it again. That first trip was Cuba. I don't know how I got onto the story. I don't remember, but I started to go down this rabbit hole of the lack of Internet in Cuba. I was on the phone with bloggers in Cuba and people in Miami and I was like reporting I was actually reporting I was talking to people and I was finding that like my old missionary guy was coming out the inquisitive resourceful Spanish-speaking communicator who like wants to go out and communicate with people was like coming out and I and I didn't have to work at it I was just making calls texting people and before you know it I'm in Miami I'm about to fly from Miami to Havana and I was just like, what the hell has happened? Like, how did I get here? Like, this, this is it. And, and then I also felt like, if I fail on this, I'm screwed. Like, I will, have, I will have given up the opportunity of a lifetime. Like, this has to be the best piece of content that has ever existed on the planet. It just does. And every single minute of that trip, I was thinking, what shot? What music? What story? What interview? And sure enough, that that video ended up totally exploding and proving the concept. I ended up making three videos from Cuba. They all did well. And they were like, let's do it again.
1: What was the response
0: from the viewers? There was just this resounding like yes from the audience, like, whoa, this is different. This isn't just an explainer. This is like a documentary, but there's also animation and and it feels like a vlog. Do more stuff like this. Joe and, and like everyone at Vox was just like, can you repeat this? And I was sort of like imposter syndrome galore I was like, dude, this was a fluke. Like I'm not gonna be able to find that story again. I was just like, what if they find out that it was all happenstance? So they're like "What would the next story be?" And they actually proposed Rio They're like, "Can you do something around the Olympics because now it's 2016 same thing happens where it's like I sort of go down these rabbit holes and tell this story that's again, I look at those these videos now that doing what I do now, and I, they, they seem quite thin in a lot of ways, like evidence wise they're like seven minutes long. Uh, but back then they were. They were pushing the limit on like what video journalism was and what Vox was doing. They were they felt like little documentaries. And the real one, it was called What Rio doesn't want the world to see. And it was about like Rio like mass evicting people to make way for like the Olympic Stadium. Every time international attention comes to Rio, the city scrambles to build up infrastructure. The day I published that, I was I was actually down in Florida and I was on the beach watching the analytics and it was getting like 2,000 a minute exploding more than I've ever seen a video ever explode like double, triple what I'd ever seen and uh, I just remember feeling like This is hitting some, like, people want information in this way. They want to see somebody who doesn't really know a lot about this topic go on a journey to discover the topic. And they go along with them and, like, they discover it with them. There's something here. And so I just kept doing it.
1: (laughs) There was something there, and there always had been. What Johnny has been doing is he's been following his interests. He's been using international travel as a North Star towards the content he wants to create. And I think there's a pretty important lesson here. Anything in life, but especially art and storytelling, should be done from the perspective of the individual's interests. If you create for the sole purpose of getting people to like it, you've corrupted the art form. Johnny continually worked to understand what he was interested in and these explorations in Cuba completely embodied his fascination that individual fascination turned into a collective fascination and even this would soon evolve into something bigger when does the idea for borders come to be
0: it was the end of 2016 actually we were up in new york city at a meeting all the vox people and we were talking about like series 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 everyone come up with a series and we were on the train back down to D.C., and me and Joss were talking and brainstorming. And I'm almost positive it was Joss who said, what about borders, just borders? And and my mind just like exploded. I was just like, yes, on every single level. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? I don't know. But that is a theme of my interest forever from a map standpoint, from a on the ground standpoint. From a conflict standpoint, everything is just like wrapped up in that wrapper. I think I've always been drawn to the mental constructs of how our society works because I never really fit nicely into it and I always interrogated those. And then when I saw how those same constructs that applied to me as an elementary school student also applied to a giant wall between two countries that I look at every day and that actually affects people's lives. And I'm like, this is just the same thing. Like the soil is not different on either side. Why did we decide that it is? The side note is that while I am revving up borders, I also applied and got accepted to grad school at American University where I'm studying uh, peace and conflict resolution. So now I'm, I'm thinking about borders and conflict uh, on a theoretical level and my growing interest in those things on a human level. Let's go interrogate what is happening at these places on the edges of these countries where these lines on the map look so fixed. But if you look at them on the ground, they're actually just these like made up things. Where do you go first? This was the time that I actually started to appear as a public as a more public face. Because even with all the documentary stuff I did before, it was always like disembodied voiceover and like I'm behind the camera and maybe you see me on camera for like two seconds. But like I actually started to vlog and started to put out like a community element and the Vox team started to build a community element around me and Borders. And we did a call out. We're like, where should we go? And we got 6,000 responses from the Vox audience which is like way too many to be useful. Like, it's just like, so I started just like, just scrolling down the Google Sheet and like stopping it somewhere and just reading. And by the end of it, we came up with these six stories that were deeply dear to me from like a curiosity standpoint, but also exemplified different versions of boundaries and borders. The first trip was to Norway where I explored the Arctic. And the borders that are being drawn in the frozen Arctic Ocean and geopolitics with Russia and Norway and the United States. And then Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And then uh, Japan. I went to Japan to explore the the cultural borders of of Koreans who live in Japan. Mexico uh, to explore the southern border of Mexico and, and the migration patterns therein. Morocco and Spain there's a little enclave of Spain within Morocco and then finally maybe my favorite trip of that first season was a rough trip through the Himalaya to the border of Tibet and Nepal with China in a jeep for three days going up these crazy dirt roads going through riverbeds and I'm I can't actually press the buttons on my laptop we're like bouncing around and I'm trying to animate the maps for the Arctic episode Like while we're filming this, it was a mad rush of adrenaline. 2017 was like the craziest year of my life.
1: How do you build up the stamina to actually be able to be in a car traveling to your next place, writing something, animating and like, 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 was that a slow process to be able to get up like that? Or were you always able to work in such a dynamic environment?
0: I believe that for so many years, I was forced to find resourceful ways to cope with a system that didn't work for me. And let me be very clear that that's one dimension of our system doesn't work for me. A million other dimensions of our system benefit and privilege me in giant ways as a straight white man in America. But from a work standpoint, if we're talking about work and work habits and relationship to work the status quo of performance was not built for my brain. And so I came up with weird workarounds that gave me, I think, certain motivation to try something new and different and to feel motivated to show that I could do it, to sort of prove myself in some ways. And when I started to taste that I could be successful, I almost like latched onto that and started to almost overcompensate. And so when I'm sitting in a Jeep in Nepal animating Arctic maps and writing scripts, even though I'm kind of nauseous, the thing motivating me there is like number one i freaking love this and number two maybe a fear of failure maybe a fear of like what if i get it discovered that like actually i am that kid who like isn't very good at stuff i think it's both things a desire for to be resourceful and cope but also a fear of being seen as not
1: successful we've talked a little bit about the work and traveling from different spots, but like there's a very also human element to the stories that you're telling too. So is there one story or slash interaction that you feel like is representative of the Borders experience?
0: There was a time in Borders India. I was in Southern India, the very Southern tip at this little piece of land that is a land bridge to Sri Lanka. And I was covering this dispute between the fishermen of Sri Lanka and the fishermen of India at this water border. And these people live on the narrowest strip of land I've ever seen. You can throw a rock from one shore to the other shore. I remember being there and sitting in the sand with this fisherman. And Iz was with me, actually. She was reporting with me and and helping film. I just was able to sit there and I wasn't filming. Like I I usually am filming on my own, but she was filming. And so I was able to just lean into this conversation. I had a translator there. And I think in that moment, I remember because I wasn't monitoring audio and, you know, shutter speed and exposure, I was really engrossed in this conversation. And I remember having a moment where I just said, how many times have I sat here on the other side of a conversation with somebody who like wants to be heard? And I am here listening with a hope of, like, telling that story. Th- this is now such a familiar space for me. That gives me a lot of meaning, and that that makes me feel really like I'm doing something with my skills that really matters for me. That was a moment I will not forget, for sure. I think about it a lot, because it, it really was impactful and sort of a culmination for me.
1: You've been having, like, all these intense experiences that have drawn out who you are recently 2020 borders was stopped can you talk a little bit about borders being canceled
0: so in 2020 we were working on borders usa which was going to be an election year a focus on on the united states we developed it before we knew a pandemic was coming The pandemic hit, took over the news, and became the sort of story of everything, as we all know. And my stories about Detroit and the Borders in Detroit, those suddenly just became like, how does this fit into COVID, which is like the only thing that matters right now? Vox ultimately made the decision to cancel the show. When Borders was canceled, there was almost this deep sadness and like mourning and loss for this thing that I was attached to and 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 meant so much to me I was in shock for a couple of days and specifically about the store the USA stories I had you know poured my soul into these stories and they were like developed and like I cared about these characters and cared about these stories and they were just going to like sit on a hard drive forever I felt a desire to replicate that in some other way You know, Borders was an expression of me, and it was an expression of Vox. But there was a part of it that was a very deep version of, like, what I want to say about the world. I now came out of that with this, like, renewed desire to build my own channel and to start to experiment with that same ethos, but, like, on my own turf.
1: Can you tell me about, like... The transition of those first couple videos without any relation to you being a part of vox or, or at least not as much and what you're doing with bright Trip.
0: so when i came out of being overtly tied to vox what i realized is that there was a lot of consideration in the stuff i made that had to go towards representing a journalistic institution when you represent a brand like vox you have to consider what vox would say and vox's voice When I was on my own, I really was able to say, what is it that I want to say about this thing? And how do I want to say it? With no consideration of a broader voice or brand. And that was a really exciting exercise for me. What it also did is allowed me to expand what my sort of ethos is away from just making short form Internet content and think about how does this live in other formats And so in 2019, and really in 2020, Is and I and one other co-founder, Andrew, started a company called Bright Trip, which is a place where I do the same thing that I do in my videos, but focused on video-based travel courses that share that enthusiasm for smarter, more informed travel. Sprite Trip to me is an expression of the same force that I put into all my work, but in this other format. My goal with that is to make something bigger than me, because right now a Borders episode, my YouTube videos—they all have me as the performer, the the voice. What if I can take that voice and inject it into an editorial style that can grow well beyond me, without me having to be a part of it at all?
1: Johnny's long-term goal continues to build upon the same missions and ethos he has been developing since elementary school. It would have been easy for Johnny to tell himself there would never be a better project than Borders. But for years and years, Johnny had expressed his mission and his ethos through his work. Now, Johnny knew how to explore and educate people through his unbounded curiosity, and he wouldn't give up on this potential. He would continue to make use of his unique perspective and dig for opportunities to make an impact. What are you looking forward to most in the next coming years?
0: What I'm looking forward to is finding different and new ways to do the exact same thing I've been doing ever since I discovered it, which is sharing stories and information about how other people live around the world to large audiences. And that will take so many different forms in the future. It may take a docu-series, bigger production format, it will continue to be a part of Bright Trip as I grow Bright Trip as a company. As we, you know, we're raising money right now and we're like actually treating this like a startup that's venture backed and like growing. And then, of course, it will be new ways to expand my formats and styles on my YouTube channel. But it's all the same stuff. I've found it. I, I'm not looking for it as anymore. I'm, I want to tell stories with beautiful visuals and exactly the thing that got me into this when I was eight years old. I love making things look beautiful and then later found that I love being curious about the world. And now I can make those two things come together and make other people curious about the world. I don't plan on evolving that mission anytime soon.
1: It feels like home for me. What advice would you give to you know a younger version of yourself, maybe someone who's getting started on that creative journey?
0: I guess I would say to an earlier version of myself or someone who's in my position, like, be skeptical of the pipelines that are presented before you. And a lot of them are cemented by mass psychology. Everyone's sort of believing this is the way it needs to be done. This is the way journalism is done. This is the way film is done. Be skeptical of those and interrogate them and say, like, does it have to be this way? And often it doesn't. There's so much custom around it. There's so much culture around it that doesn't have to do with the craft itself. It has to do with this sort of window dressing of it that isn't important. But humans love to put emphasis on that window dressing as the thing itself. And if there's anything I've learned, it's like the window dressing isn't the thing. It's it's just the way we like to dress it up. And we should interrogate and be skeptical of those lines that we draw around uh, around what work we do. I chalk my story up to hard work being set up with a lot of wonderful opportunities. I can't bottle some wisdom that summarizes why it happened the way it did, but I just know that if I had stuck to the rubrics that were given to me as this is how you're supposed to do it, these are your options, choose. I would have ended up in a, in a position where I, that wasn't built for me, and that would have been v- a very difficult path.
1: As we grow up, we begin to question our reality. What exists because our parents, our friends, our culture tells us it exists? And what do we know to be true because of our own experience? Johnny was exposed to apocalyptic beliefs while living in a hippie town. He was shown pretty early how drastically culture can shape our perception of the world. With this awareness, Johnny constantly moved through a jungle of different perspectives and cultures, pushing aside the flexible constraints that at first glance appeared stationary. He cleared the way for a path in which his attributes could thrive. Though challenged at times, Johnny never dwelled too long on the question... What's wrong with me? Instead, he asks, what are my strengths? What about this system is stopping those strengths from thriving? And lastly, how can I create a system for myself that allows me to thrive? Today, with his audience on YouTube and his work with Bright Trip, Johnny breaks down the paradigm through which his audience views the world and says, these borders, they don't really exist. Cross them and see who you are on the other side. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Joseph Cho, Matt Fernandez,
0: Spencer Khan,
1: Sophia Donner, Shannon O'Halloran,
0: Jess DeSena, Sebastian Gazada Samuel Stenica, Can our
2: writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from
0: Avneesh
2: Sengupta, Prerika Chawla, Mitchell Lin, Lise Caldwell, Jessica Gung, Zachary Loudermilk Bhatia,
1: Kylie McCreary,
2: Lauren Pomerantz.
1: Our outreach and research lead is Jessica Lin with support from Sasha Ivanova, Marie Vaughn, Lisa Le,
2: Ankita Numbior, Sarah Hobson, Gary Zeng, and Melody Sopani. Our design and social media team lead is Lingmu Hu, with support from Tiffany Dang, Kayla Erickson, Shruti Ramanand,
1: Carla Ruelcava, and Alana Donnelly.
0: The video editing team is Eli Lawrence, with
1: support from Melanie Mack and Nina Maravich. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at FindingFounders.com. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.